Hello, everybody, and welcome to our monthly webinar. Today is special because this, uh, uh, this uh, webinar is, uh, is about patients, which is our main uh, objective in, uh, in clinical trials. Uh, is probably one of the uh, more um, important, um, how can I say this, are subjects or issues <laughs> in, uh, in the clinical trials environment. And uh, we have today uh, two very special guests. Our first guest is Christine von Resville. She is a CEO. She is a patient. Um, uh, she specializes in patient uh, advocacy. She is a, a, she's also a storyteller, a speaker, patient perspective, and the best of everything is that she has been named as one of the uh, top 100 women on influence by Silicon Valley Business Journal. Welcome, Christine. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you here and, uh, and listen to all the education and all the, uh, uh, your experience in this webinar. Well, thank you for having me. And it, it always sounds so weird when other people say it, right? To me, it was just kind of this little <laughs> award. And then everybody else is like, wow. But yes, I'm Christine Von Reisfeld. I run a small nonprofit where working or trying to put our business plan together on really how to break down some of the silos that we have in healthcare. And I think it's very important to have that patient perspective in everything that we do, especially when we're going into clinical trials and, and especially with this new digital age and data that we're all experiencing. So I'm happy to be here and I guess I'll let you introduce the other guest. <laughs> yes, <laughs> our other guest is uh, Rainier. Uh, Tula Medeiros. <laughs> did I pronounce it well, Rainier? Yes, you did. Okay. <laughs> He's also a CEO and owner of eClean Pro. This is a, a platform or a software that allowed uh, people to, um, obviously, to or, or clinics to create and develop the clinical trials more efficiently. It has the e-source the e-docs, the text, uh, the budget included, marketing. But the, this platform have a very special feature that I really like. And uh, um, Rainier is here to tell us all about it. And is going to educate also us about the potential benefits that this can have for our uh, clinics. And obviously this is going to be reflected in a better um, uh, a clinic process, and obviously on a patient, uh, on the patient's uh, visits, and, and and getting better data. So let's start. Welcome uh, uh, with uh, welcome Rainer. To uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, let's start with Christine. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so where do you want to start? Monica? Well, I, I think everybody would love to hear about your story, how you came to the place where you are right now. 
Sure. So uh, I like to tell people my life uh, up to now has been a series of unfortunate events. Um, but out of those unfortunate <laughs> events, right, there have been solutions and things that I've been able to implement and things that I've been able to find out that have helped improve my own quality of life and my own care. And so, you know, I've experienced everything from lost medical records to damage from medications. And now I'm really exploring the genome, really, and how we can work with the genome and how we can really look at patients and find the underlying conditions rather than treating for symptoms or for a diagnosis or even misdiagnoses. Uh, you know, and as we're looking at trials, I think there are so many ways that we can work trials that we can really, I guess, maximize our patient communities and actually involve them in the process so that they are really involved, right? I think a lot of times when we run clinical trials, we're not looking at the people that are in the trials. We're looking at numbers and de-identified data and really looking to kind of protect ourselves. And so what we really need to do and what I tell companies all the time is really getting into those communities and working with those communities, finding out what people's needs are when we're starting, even just the, the thought of even starting a clinical trial, right? Um, I think there needs to be a patient involved and not just any patient, but a patient who's educated around the system who can help us work through some of the kinks that we may experience. And so now it's it's a lot of public speaking. Uh, Estella and I were actually just at a clinical trial supply conference last week in San Francisco um, and really just spoke to the side on the community, right? And really trying to connect people with the communities that you're trying to help. I think a lot of us, especially in clinical research, the, uh, lose sight of what we're doing this for. And so I think it's important to integrate the patient stories and the experiences and really find out how these trials are impacting people in their daily lives. And so I guess I'll stop there. <laughs> wow, I absolutely love what you just say because that, that is actually what it should be called patient centricity, right? Mm -hmm. That everything really evolves around the patients and not, and not just uh, numbers or data as you just mentioned. Well, I like to uh, tell industry too, as well, that we would not all have jobs if there weren't sick patients. And I think that's one of the things patients have to understand as well. So that's right. That that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yeah. That, uh, but, but at the end of the day, everything is for the patients. Everything is to improve the humanity, quality of life, right? So uh, we're working towards that, and that's the, I think that's the most fulfilling part of being part of this industry. Yeah, there is hope, right? And I think I look at clinical trials, clinical researchers as that. My staff and I are committed to sending Thank you. Yeah, sorry about that, Christine. Please continue. No, go ahead. Uh, so I actually had a question. Um, so, you know, you, what you said about, you know, first just love saying, I love hearing you say that, you know, putting a space for the patients, right? Because, um, you know, working from the zero, from a zero, zero perspective, you know, that is very much the case. You, you're dealing with reports, numbers, and it's very, you tend to, you know, detach from the actual human interaction, especially if you're not at the actual site. Um, so I can, you know, kind of see how those kind of more of an equilibrium in regards to, you know, 
putting a space for the patient, but also, you know, a space for like directly in the site in regards to recruitment, right? And how you're going about connecting with patients and how you are utilizing the community. And so um, to be more direct, my question would be, you know, for your organization, are there particular pathways that you guys are going about and being able to connect more frequently with patients, especially in a more, you know, uh, diverse demographic? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that that makes being in the patient advocacy space interesting is, you know, we don't have to follow all the HIPAA laws and things when we talk to each other, mm -hmm. right? We can share our stories openly and we don't have to worry about, you know, what was said or, or any of those things. So you get a very much, you get a more open right? A description of what people are going through. When I was just in the, I was in the Middle East for a conference and one of the people there was talking about how they sent in a, a clinical researcher to talk to patients after they had had the experience and got very limited responses. But when they actually sent in another patient to talk to that person, they had pages of information, right? And I think a patient's going to respond to somebody who's been through what they've been through. And a lot of times we like to send out people to talk about things, but who don't really understand at the level where that person is and how to explain things. And so I think one of the things, you know, we have to think about is how people interact with each other, how they interact within their own race. I'm not Latina, but I am Filipino and there are a lot of similarities between us there. And I see that, right? I see the culture influencing my treatments and decisions that were made for me. So really, one of the other things I think we need to talk about is reframing the idea of clinical trials. You know, we look at clinical trials as a last, last ditch option for a lot of people when that's not what it should be. You know, we should be finding people when they are first diagnosed with a condition before they hit comorbidities and exclusions with drugs and other things and really talk to them about the possibility of what a clinical trial can do and make the people who are participating in those, in those uh, trials the heroes that they really are. 100%. Thank you. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry, one more question, Monica. <laughs> sorry, I don't know if you guys are going to jump in. Uh, just, I really no. <laughs> love this topic. I was from public health and, and then prior to that, about eight years in clinical industry. And so I saw a lot of um, advocacy and, and how that actually can really make a difference. And so um, I'm curious though, given you know how I feel like we're kind of in that range where you have the older generation with the newer generation and technology, you know, I feel like it's probably double the work, right? Because you're finding one in one location in one sphere and the other one, you know, more personal one-on-one. -on -one. So how exactly are you, you guys kind of finding that intermediate space or is there one? <laughs> I think right now there isn't one, you know, but I think we're working towards that. You know, uh, Estella, who's on the call, we've talked about, you know, building programs to maybe help with nonprofits, right? I, I always see an, an issue where, you know, we count on nonprofits to do all of these things for us, and yet we're still not getting results in clinical trials, right? And so I think if we're working with nonprofits, those are the people that are supposed to have that connection with communities. So is there a better way to do that, right? And, and how do you pick even some of the groups to work with? Because I know I've worked with a lot of companies who look at numbers, 
right? They look at how many followers these people have. They look at the income and the budget that this nonprofit has. And they're not reaching out to the grassroots organizations who are on the ground, who are in those communities and doing things, you know? And I think there needs to be a space for patients where there's not a stigma around what we're going through, but that's really looked at as life experience. And how can you use that life experience in certain patients to help, you know, elevate the cause of clinical trials. A hundred percent. I know that the, um, I can't remember who it was that I spoke with. This is just like a random conversation that we had, but they discussed, they're like, well, you know, in order to, for us to feel that we can bring somebody on board, like you said, we need to know that they have a good following. And I remember just looking at him and saying, you know, most people that do that grassroots work, as you said, they don't have time to be posting. They don't have time to be like, advocacy is not, you know, being online and making all sorts of, you know, content, it's about going door to door and getting to know the individuals and their families and stuff. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I resonate completely with what you just said. Thank you for, for mentioning that. And we can pay for followers at this point too, right? Yeah, so exactly. Looking at somebody's followers does not necessarily mean they have an impact in the community. 100%. 100%. Sorry, guys. Go ahead. <laughs> going to click over all the questions. <laughs> no, so I was uh, thinking about, I, I, I was looking to you throughout your uh, LinkedIn, and I noticed that your career has been always like in service of the community. So uh, how, how, in which point did you decide that you wanted to be working with patients advocacy or how, what took you to that place? <laughs> My own experience and really not having support myself. You know, um, I talk to people a lot and we talk a lot about support and support groups and how we offer that support to communities. But I also think at a certain point, communities and that support can sometimes hinder yourself. You know, I know a lot of people who have a great support system, so they're not going to look further for anything, right? They've got a good quality of life. Why mess with anything, right? And so for me, it was that lack of support that kind of drove me further and connected me more to the people that I was seeing that weren't getting that support, you know, and really just resonating with them. I'm on social security disability myself. I've been out on disability since I was 28 years old. And so that also played a part of it, right? Not being able, living in the US and not being able to take payment for fear of losing Medicare is, is a huge factor for those of us that live on disability. And so really my life became service, not only because I wanted it to and because I like it, but it was kind of forced on me, you know? And, and I, I honestly, I, I talk about it all the time that if I knew how far and how deep some of these issues went, I wouldn't want to have gotten involved. But then I think, who else would, you know, and, and I see Estella here doing just the same thing. Uh, she's a patient as well. And like I said, we've spoken a few times. I'm trying to bring her more into the speaking roles. And really, she has a great connection with the community. And the one thing that I love about her group and what they do is they hold these support group meetings that have licensed therapists at the meetings, right? And they're looking at the community, they're finding resources, they do things through artwork and really exploring other ways 
you know, to work with them. And I think it's so important to involve those patients and what they're doing and bring it into this whole clinical trial process, right? It's, it's a hard thing to go through and, and to have that support and to have organizations who are truly looking out for patients is extremely important as well. I really love that point that you just mentioned because uh, especially those support groups or these meetup groups is real people. It's just the people that is experiencing the same situations, even the caregivers or the people that are that created that group in reality is people that is usually experiencing somehow uh, the need to have that, obviously. Um, and uh, um, sometimes those those groups are overseen, I think, overlooked because uh, because obviously they don't have much advertisement or uh, or, or yeah, who knows? <laughs> Just yeah. hidden, right? I, I um, when I was doing patient recruitment, in some point I concentrated my efforts in these groups because I knew uh, the opportunities that you had to chat with people with a specific condition, and I learned a lot, a lot. And, and obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a big impact that have in society, too, because um, otherwise, some of these um, groups or some of these people with these conditions don't have any other possibility to have any other support. And who's best to give you support than people that is experiencing the same thing as you? And I think one of the things that you said there, you know, talking to patients is truly important, right? Social listening, which I know a lot of companies are doing right now and kind of just tuning in to hashtags and groups and listening in, that is not the same as interacting with the community. And we have to remember that. And also, you know, some of the social listening tactics that people have, right? It, it doesn't resonate well. It doesn't mix well with certain communities. So you've really got to get out there and find out what these communities need, right? We all have a need here. And I think the patient needs tend to get forgotten when we have these discussions of what everybody needs. Yeah, and that brings also another topic, which is patient diversity, the communities, specific uh, communities, not just with the condition, but let's say uh, with heritage background, like Latinos or or like uh, uh, yourself, like um, communities that that have more tendency to develop specific conditions that oftentimes are forgotten because older communities are participating more. <laughs> so I think uh, that's a, that's another point that we need to have in mind uh, when reaching out to the communities, the, the background, the condition, uh, and, and like you say, going to, to the, the grassroots is just the, the best way to go. Yeah, I think Chris, so. Kristen, okay. does your organization actually have, you know, um, aside from, you know, directly helping patients, do you, do you have, uh, I guess you could say like a list or some sort of, um, contact form that if other individuals, especially within the research industry, you know, when they hear this video, um, I'm sure they'll be just as moved as we are, you know, so is there any way or that they can connect you or do you know another organization that helps? No, and, and so 
you know, one of the things that I like to do, so my organization, I'm really trying to connect people. And so anyone that wants to reach out, if I can't help you, I have groups that I work with that I, you know, different patient communities, different resources that I can always get in contact with. You know, I think it's extremely important to, to really, I don't know, it's not really wealth, but share that information among different communities. And, and for me, I've built up a pretty good book of contacts, you know, not just here in the US, but globally. And really, anyone that reaches out, I'm happy to try and help connect them with the right patient groups and really try to move this forward as we as we go into these uncharted waters, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Are there particular steps as to how you would even get into advocacy? Is it literally like a position, a job, or is it more of a volunteering aspect where you kind yeah. of Fall into we're, it, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're all still trying to figure that out ourselves, too. Uh, <laughs> I think it, it's interesting that you asked that, right? Because there's so many different levels of patient advocacy. And I don't think that as an industry, we really think about that. You know, you do yeah, yeah. have patients who are more educated, who have been in the system, who have researched, who have taken class, whatever, right? But you also have those other patients who are newly diagnosed. And in our own patient community, we struggle with that, right? On, on where to draw the line and what kind of patients can be used for certain things, because we also don't want to put somebody into a place where they're not comfortable yet or where they could actually hurt their community instead of helping them. So I'm very careful about who I connect people with, making sure that they are people that have the connections or the resources or can offer what people are looking for. And, you know, getting to know different patients, I have multiple diagnoses myself. Um, I have, I think I'm now at 32 different diagnoses and still undiagnosed. Um, but having all of those conditions, right, hasn't pigeonholed me into one spot. And so that's allowed me to connect with different patient communities and industry and biotech and everybody else that's out there, right, and really trying to find who they can match with best. But getting into advocacy, you know, it's a strange game. We've got people that do it for notoriety, that just want to travel, that want, you know, whatever it is that they see us living our lives doing and don't really realize what goes into this. You know, it's not just about sharing your story. It's about talking about solutions, finding ways to connect communities. And, and I think a lot of advocacy goes to a personal level. And, and that's really what you're taught, right? When you get into advocacy, it's how to tell your sob story and, and really not taught how to interact or how to engage or even, you know, how to share your responses. I'm in meetings all the time where I speak up and then other patients start speaking up. But until I do, or until Estella or someone else in the room says something, most people are just happy to be there. You know, and, and I'm looking for voices and people that really want to make an impact and change and, and looking at these things differently than we've looked at them before. No, thank you. Thank you so much. All your responses are just very like hard hitting. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I asked yeah. that question because like I said, I was in healthcare for so long and I never saw actual like, titles, right? It was always you know, um, you know, in this case, I was from, you know, um, a rural area right near the border. So it was usually a, um, you know, a nurse that spoke a lot of Spanish that was really, you know, close to the patients, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, going from that into public health, that's when I actually started to see the title, 
advocacy, patient advocacy, where they would travel a lot, right? Um, so I just thought it was interesting because, you know, I personally in, in research so far, I haven't actually seen that title yet. Um, I mean, I could probably just be not aware, <laughs> but um, because of that, you know, I just find it interesting because, you know, public health, you know, clinical industry and clinical research, you know, they're almost within this, pretty much in the same sphere. And there's so many things that are just not intertwined, you know, and so, and it all really just kind of revolves together in its own, you know, its own ways. So I just thought that that was interesting, but thank you for sharing that. Oh, no. And I think we also have to look at, you know, patients have lived experience, right? You may run a trial, you may know this trial, you may know what the side effects of these drugs are and everything else, right? But to actually experience those is completely different than just talking about it, right? Um, really quick, I'm going to tell you a short story. My doctor, when I was a kid, because you mentioned, you know, growing up in that area and who to turn to, I had a physician. And when I was 14, I was diagnosed with a rare blood disorder. And uh, my doctor, she I hated her at the time, but she was a lifesaver. Um, but she used to make me volunteer in the hospital as a kid. And when she would have patients who develop TTP, the blood disorder that I had, she would call me in and make me sit on the edge of this person's bed and talk to them. You know, and at the time I thought, what is she doing? No one else has to do this. And I thought it was the most horrible thing, right? But as I got older, really it was that idea that I could relate to someone, you know, and she saw that as my physician and was able to bring me in there. And so I think it's really important to have that connection of somebody who has actually experienced something when you're talking about that to other people. I think patients should be used, you know, as in clinical trials, as, as people who are consulted with, with other patients, right? There should be a patient at every hospital or every clinical site that if you're going to run a trial, here's a patient that you can talk to that can answer more of your questions, right? Not the technical side of it, but the real life questions of what you wanna hear about, because it is so different coming from somebody who sees what happens versus somebody who's actually lived through. And I think we have to take those insights and learn from them and implement things that patients say early on in the system to avoid some of these problems later. Oh, that story gave me goosebumps. Now that, yeah, now that you mentioned <laughs> that, Christine, since I've been working in research, I have come across with two studies that did exactly that. They brought patients with a condition. And uh, obviously the older patients got connected, but even the whole, the whole team got connected too, because now you're understanding and you're hearing from a real person that is experiencing, you're learning from them, from them how to treat them, how to talk to them, how to behave, how to... Uh, work with them because that also helps the sites or the clinical uh, um, team to um, to have a more insightful idea of what these patients are going through, and that makes it even more meaningful. Up to this day, those are those two studies have been the best studies I have ever been part of because they put their heart on it. So it doesn't, it didn't show us just a company trying to make millions of dollars with a uh, drug, but they were caring about the patients. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and that happened in the, um, with, uh, in the COVID period, in the pandemic, uh, when the pandemic started. 
and uh, and even that uh, we were not uh, seeing each other all the time with the patients and and uh, and with the um, study teams that brought us all together and we work I, I work harder than in, for any other study and and it was for that reason because it's sensitive sensitive how you pronounce that word sensitivize yeah everybody yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it make everybody more sense yeah no yeah. it make everybody more sensitive about the condition and more yeah. knowledgeable uh, and, and, and it was beautiful to hear people uh, sharing their stories uh, uh, about the condition, about their experience, about their uh, symptoms and learning like from a real person, not just doctors, not just nurses, no, I mean, yeah, it, it's, more, it's, more, it's more touchy. Yeah, and that gave me goosebumps that you said there were actually two studies. <laughs> Because I do think that is so important, right? You can get so much information off of one person, but when you even combine two patients together, you'll get a hundred times more information because they feel comfortable. You know, they know that somebody's experienced that. And so it's not a bunch of suits in a room, right? It's somebody that you relate to. And I think you're right. It does make the entire team feel a little more connected too. And, and I think those two studies probably were more successful than any other study um, when the, uh, achieving the numbers. Yeah. Um, in fact, one of those studies finished earlier than the goal that they had, uh, the, the deadline that they had to finish um, accruing patients for that study. So uh, I, I can tell that from my experience that that absolutely works in research. I love hearing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Christine, why people with empathy, where this idea came from? Um, <laughs> since when is this uh, born your, your company? So we started two years ago and, and the story is actually kind of interesting. I grew up in the Silicon Valley. I was born and raised here um, and I was going to networking events all the time, right? Really just trying to find people in healthcare in the area to connect with. And I was getting a lot of very smart individuals with very low emotional intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was a, you know, a ranting session with my old co-founder where we sat and talked and, and really it was just a moment of weakness where I said, I just wish this world had more people with empathy. And it was like, oh my God, that's our name. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> we, we started uh, two years ago. I went into heart failure, unfortunately, the second year or the first year of our nonprofit um, and things got put on hold. So right now we're in the process of rebuilding and really just trying to find out where we can build these programs. And if it is to help in the clinical side or it's really to work on the nonprofit side um, or just connecting the right people. You know, I, I think it's hugely important to have that patient perspective and whether I give it to someone or someone else, we need to just make sure that that's there. And so the nonprofit is now trying to elevate those voices of patients and really um, explaining to people, we want, to, we want people to eventually know the value of their collective data. 
you know, of knowing that, you know, as we walk into clinical trials, that this isn't just you, this is an entire population of people who are involved in this and counting on this, right? And I think we look at trials and, and things and such like this with our health as more of an individual thing, but we will never come to answers if we're looking at just an individual. And so really just emphasizing the fact that collective data is important, right? It's valuable. It's something that, that can fuel your community as well, right? And, and find the right people with that data that you need to work with, with your conditions. And so we're working on it. Um, <laughs> I've got another meeting tomorrow to, to finalize some things. Um, but yeah, just really looking on how, right, to, to make sure that patients are included in this process and to make sure that they know just that value. You know, I, I grew up thinking that I was a burden on everybody, including my family, and, and still, right, struggle with that. I, I wrote a post one time about imposter syndrome. I sit in these rooms and I have these conversations with amazing people with 500 letters behind their last names. And, and I don't have that, right? But I do have lived experience. And I can also tell you in healthcare, clinical trials may be your job or virtual or whatever, whatever little silo of this you are in, every single part of that affects my life. And so it gives a bigger picture, right, of, of how this works and not just the trial, but following the trial, right? What happens after the trial? What happens after all of this? You know, we, we just need more guidance. And so hoping to, to build a roadmap, right? To help people find those options easier and, and help our communities as well. I love how your company <laughs> yeah. has so much heart in it. So much, <laughs> uh, so much soul and, and, and all this. Um, I mean, that is so genuine. That's what I wanted to say is your companies are really genuine. Uh, so <laughs> um, I, I really like it. It's not for money for me, right? It's really for me. It's about making sure that my nieces, uh, my friends' kids, that no one else has to experience the things that I've been through. And if there is some little bit of hope in what I've gone through that we can then pivot and turn into something and really help others, I am. that's what I want to do. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we're, we got all this on recording because yeah. <laughs> the answers have we're been very, very honest. Yeah. <laughs> we're very exactly. happy to amplify your voice through a uh, big shout out to <laughs> Christine, our chief uh, executive officer. She's amazing for having, you know, connected us to you, Christine. Uh, thank you so much. I think I believe she's in here right now. She's on mute, but thank you so much for making this connection. Um, you're your words, your experience is, you know, I mean, there's just no price on that. You know, it's honestly, you you moved us today. I mean, I got goosebumps. I don't think I've had that in such a long time when it comes to the interviews. So it's pretty major. Um, thank you so much for sharing everything. And I honestly hate to wrap it up, um, but we do have like an hour marker and we definitely need to make sure you that- You mean our other guests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, but, um, yeah. but we do not want to not, Recollaborate. We would definitely need to find a way that we can work together. And um, again, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, no problem. Yeah, Christian. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I would love to bring you back uh, uh, and, and also uh, bring Perla Nunez. And um, I'm probably one of the pharmaceuticals that I mentioned 
if they if they are open to speak about that, uh, because I think it will be a very interesting discussion. Oh, yeah, I would love to. You guys just let me know. And I saw Christine in the comments. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Christine. Thank you very, very much for all you're doing, for your time today, and most especially for sharing your story and, and for, for being the voice of those that don't have a voice. Mm -hmm. or, or those that the, the voice is silent. <laughs> yeah, but so. I am happy to connect with you all. And again, I put my LinkedIn there in the chat if anyone wants to reach out. And I'm happy to just talk and explore solutions with you all. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So now we go with Rainier. <laughs> Hello, hello. Oh, hi, Rainier. <laughs> well, thank you, Monica, hey. for inviting me. Yeah, no, thank you for being here. So Rainier is a Cuban um, yes, senor. person. <laughs> so Hello, tell us about Eclim Pro and your new feature that we were discussing um, this morning. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful tool. It will help uh, clinics and, and especially having that personal contact with the patients. Yes. So um, just a few years ago, I was like uh, another software developer. Um, it is when my partner, which is a foreign doctor, came up with the idea of creating the CTMS. Um, there are a lot of you know, other providers out there. But uh, we wanted to be more involved with the clinical, um, with the, the actual locations with the person uh, to actually make it, you know, uh, uh, a profitable solution like uh, they can afford, like affordable solution for them. So, because, uh, you know, little by little, I've been learning about um, clinical trials and sadly with the pandemic, you know, remarked the, the importance of uh, the trials and to be ahead of the disease. And um, so, I mean, right now I'm feeling like super proud, like to be part of this uh, community and to support and to help um, improve clinical trials to have, you know, the cure uh, to disease sooner. Um, so we developed the CTMS solution with a lot of functionalities to help clinical trials. Um, and uh, as Monica mentioned, one of the features is related with the recruitment process, which uh, we know is uh, like a bottleneck, really difficult um, to communicate and to find the right candidate for the trials. So we basically create this tool to integrate uh, our customers' website with the Eclin Pro platform to make really easy uh, this recruitment process in which uh, also, they have the opportunity to chat with the person applying to the studies, and they will have like more organized information of all the applicants and all the conditions. They can put reports, etc., to make this pre-screen process really way easier, right? And um, so that's kind of the web integration part, but we have a lot of features and um, to offer uh, to improve uh, clinical trials, of course. Um, so I don't know if you want me to um, talk about another features, Monica. Um, 
Um, uh, I would like to ask specifically about that feature uh, uh, that the clinic is able to speak in real life and connect with the patient that is participating, how that happens. So basically they uh, can set up uh, campaigns uh, linked to the enrolling studies in, in the eClean Pro platform in their accounts. And those campaigns get published in their website. So in a way that uh, they can use that integration as a landing page for their recruitment processes. So the patient land in their website in which they show the information and details of the, the study and the person apply. When that happens, the information goes automatically to their account and show them alerts of the new recruitment processes. And uh, from that moment, they have the ability to chat with the person and to agree with them and to communicate and to answer any question they might have. So that's basically how it works. So the clinics will have the opportunity to, to initially add, let's say, some inclusion and exclusion uh, questions uh, to like to filter and then from them, from that they can keep on going the, the, the communication or even since the very beginning when the patient uh, registered, they can start talking. Yeah, actually that's a good question. And I'm sorry, I forgot about that. Thank you for bringing that. So, but when the, the, the clinic had set up the campaigns in their account, they have the opportunity to, to configure multiple questions, um, basically to identify and include those inclusion exclusion criteria. Also, the person applying have the opportunity to um, enter or specify their conditions. So that way the application contain more content uh, to be able to identify uh, based on the conditions and the answers that they provide uh, to those inclusion exclusion questions that every uh, clinic can set up dynamic. Uh, based on that, they can identify pretty easy if the person actually um, is a right candidate or not. Okay, and, and just just to let everybody know that, to keep in mind that this is not a platform to do advertisement only. <laughs> it's just one of the features of your of your platform that, uh, or your software that include, that is basically for e-source, regulatory, um, budget, and then also includes this marketing tool. What else does the, this, uh, your, your platform has? So, I guess it's pretty much like everything, like from the basis, like the patient um, patient database with all the medical conditions and the ability to do inclusion exclusion criteria and to pull up from the database uh, the possible candidates. So you have the, the calendar, appointment reminders, you have the option to set up uh, the source electronically with everything that have to go with that part electronic document signatures, submissions to PI for review and sign. And uh, the budget part, they have, they have the option to configure the budget and pull reports and to have control of all the sites and all the studies in single pages. So it's, you know, technology is pretty much uh, focused on uh, organization, um, having everything in one place. Um, so uh, like improving, uh, automating uh, processes. That's pretty much what is technology about, right? So joining that with the, uh, with the um, uh, clinical trials, it's, uh, you know, to improve everything, like 
from the pre-screening process to the recruitment, uh, follow up with the person via chat, uh, SMS, or email. The automation process is to follow up and, uh, and agree with the, you know, the baseline visits. Uh, the, uh, all, all the setups, like, you know, like uh, virtual uh, monitoring visits, um, monitor can, you know, come, uh, create queries. Uh, the person from the site can pull up reports from open queries. They can respond, they, you know, there are a lot of features that they can use and take advantage of to improve tri uh, clinical trials results. I actually would like to mention something that I, I saw in this software and it's that it says Spanish. So is that that it ha it can be translated? How what is that uh, uh, part of the software for? Actually, yes, uh, we have also a client in Bulgaria, so we have the ability to do translation. So currently, we have uh, English, Bulgarian, and also Spanish working on the Spanish part. Salud wow. from Cuba and working in the Spanish. Uh, hopefully it's going to be done for for South America and for yes. actually 28 28 countries in the world speak Spanish so for yeah. those countries <laughs> that's great I don't think I've ever heard of that before honestly that's, that's no. amazing finally yeah. <laughs> actually we, we kind of have a plan uh, so we were working on this project like three years ago and we wanted to launch when we feel like comfortable so we you know, first wanted to actually see what we can offer, how we can compare with the other uh, providers to actually have, you know, a good product to offer and an affordable product to offer. So, and we also, let's say, uh, uh, participate in a site solution summit last October uh, to be, uh, you know, close to sponsors and the main the main uh, providers. And actually, we had a good feedback from them, so we feel more comfortable. And we uh, actually launched the product like this, this year, and we had, you know, so far a few customers. So we have a lot of work to do. Amazing! Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, Rainier, now tell us a little bit more about the story of your company. So you you mentioned that your business partner is a foreign doctor. So yep. that means uh, he was he he has experience in research. Was he a PI or or was he involved in research in some point, or is he uh, or, or or when he came to United States he got involved in research? Yeah, that's correct. So like seven years ago, uh, he came to the U.S. and um, right away he jumped into the clinical trials. Um, but that time, I guess for him was like the easier way to get more involved with patients and that kind of thing, which is actually what he likes to do for uh, every day and to help uh, patients and to improve quality of life. So, and little by little, he was, you know, getting more and more involved and um, that's how he came up with this idea because he also faced a few providers like was like in certain processes that he identified that could be improved and, um, you know, um, and also super expensive. So that's why we came up with this, uh, this idea to actually help um, in certain way, right? So like creating this tool, easy to use for every clinical trial. So because before it was like pretty much impossible for small sites. Um, and little by little, you know, from the beginning, we 
kind of wanted to launch just with a simple CDMS. And um, we had like really uh, uh, tight communi you know, really good communication with our customers. And uh, one of the approach that we have, uh, we've been trying to push forward is to uh, hear from their feedbacks and to try to improve every process because small things actually uh, convert the software in a like way better uh, solution. Like uh, some of the, the features that I show you, Monica, uh, for the speed recording, like because we know technology, uh, this kind of software is mostly used uh, with tablets and that kind of devices. So to write down the big produce notes and it's really tedious. So um, one of the customers came up with the idea, hey, why do you don't use, you don't use the, uh, the Google uh, voice recording? Uh, so we, we implemented that also in multiple languages, Bulgarian super difficult when we get it done. So <laughs> we didn't have to do that And yeah, little by little, we improved the software like by hearing the feedbacks. I mean, I can point out a lot of features that we had done. Um, and actually it's not my idea. It's actually my, my customer's idea because uh, they are the one who knows more what part can be improved. And they didn't have that before, you know, this kind of relationship with the providers. So that's, one of the goals that we want to uh, maintain and to keep um, kind of to improve more and more the software and to have a better solution to actually help uh, clinical trials. So he he's the doctor and then you're the software guy. <laughs> yep, I'm the software guy, the IT. And he's more like the, the business part, like everything related with uh, you know, these uh, clinical trials, uh, I need to, you know, to chat with Jose. Well, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. Um, I think it's exceptional that you guys are doing the language aspect of it. I think that that's one of the more major roadblocks on a whole, like worldwide. Um, and, you know, congrats mm -hmm. that you guys are already moving towards that. That's amazing. And I think it's even more amazing that, you know, you're taking the time to actually hear out what the PIs have to say, listening to the sites. Um, I know when I was at a hybrid site working directly at a hybrid site in a rural area, part of the concern for the physician to fully transition over to complete research as opposed to just hybrid and also going from you know paper to electronic was because they were worried that the system wasn't going to either tailor to their particular like way of going and processing things or that they would end up getting with a system that wouldn't hear their concerns and help try to adjust or make sort of, you know, some assessments into how they can better, you know, maneuver for the site. So that's really amazing that you guys are doing this. Um, I can see that being a huge benefit for not just all sites, but more specifically for sites that are in rural areas, you know, that need language interpretation, that also need, you know, the whole uh, aspect of being it more feasible, you know, more affordable. And again, hearing them out, right? Because, you know, grassroots, you know, the sites, even though sites, you know, do well at pretty much at some point, they are the, the little guy in the big scheme of things, right? And so it's super important mm -hmm. that we always keep them in mind. And um, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, one thing that I learned today from our two guests is the importance of listening to the community. <laughs> Yeah. in the different areas, in the professional community, the patients, the, I mean, the community as a whole is just so important because how, that's how we learn and how, that's how we improve and help each other. 
100%. Couldn't agree more, Monica. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you both for, for coming here today. We really appreciate it. Um, uh, Rainer, we've had you on before. Thank you so much for coming on again and sharing this new information with us. Um, as always, we're happy to continuously have you involved with LACR. Um, and you too, Christine, thank you so much for being here today. Your story was very moving. Um, as Monica said, we definitely want to continue to collaborate and probably bring you on with uh, a few other guests to speak again on patient advocacy. So thank you both for providing your insights. Um, and we hope to continue to provide more information to our LICR members. And um, if you guys have any requests or topics you'd like us to cover, don't you know hesitate to let us know. Um, you can always reach out to any of the co-founders on LinkedIn or even feel free to drop in a topic here. But thank you, everybody. Uh, Monica, Dan, I don't know if you all have anything you want to say before we... Yeah, um, and also suggest us uh, on any specific guest because, of, I mean, we obviously know people, but not everybody. And maybe there is somebody out there that is worth having it uh, as a guest. And, uh, and obviously, thank you, everybody, for being here. And if anybody has any questions for our guests, this is the perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> any questions or any uh, comments? Thank you, everybody. So we will we'll send a follow-up email with the Eileen Schneider, the writer's article <laughs> on this <laughs> in a few weeks. And if you're looking for other topics, I'd love for you guys to discuss genomics and how that's going to play into clinical trials as we move hey. forward. Yes. So I, uh, I am, you know, I think there's a lot of misdiagnoses out there and we really need to look at people at a cellular level. And so I think genomics is going to play a huge part in clinical trials and how patients start to organize themselves around defects in their genome is starting to and going to happen. And so those are things that I think we also need to talk about as we move forward. I agree. That I actually is actually that topic. an amazing topic. Yes. I, I think we all love that topic in the in a, in the Latinos in clinical research team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's something like seriously amazing. My my physician actually is finally transitioning to a more larger approach. And so um, she's implementing that with her patients. So I'm actually going to do my genome testing in two weeks. So I thought it was pretty cool. I'm like, yes, sign me up. Let's go see. I mean, a little nervous, but you know, it's good to know, whatever. <laughs> so part but, yeah. of it, you should get your pharmacogenomics as well, which will mm -hmm. then tell you how you, uh, you know, how you digest these drugs or how, you know, how they metabolize oh, in your body. And so another thing that could be extremely helpful in clinical trials is that aspect of pharmacogenomics. If we could just tailor the drug a little bit to react differently in a certain person, you may push things through a, a trial way quicker. That's amazing. Do you know anybody in those areas? I you do. Are, yeah. Let us know, please. Oh, <laughs> we're going to reach out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll let you know and I'll have them come on and talk to you because I think it is, it's changing, right? The data yeah, that's coming yeah. out, we're in a new digital age and, and there is a way for that data to pay back into the communities as well. And so those are the things we all need to discuss too. So. 100%. Well, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And and uh, Monica, Judy, Dan, Chris, we, we definitely need to cover these topics. It's, it's There's so much to dig up into this, but thanks, Christine, appreciate it. Thank you everybody for showing today. 
uh, we're pretty much two minutes out. So um, we're gonna have, uh, like Dan said, we'll be posting up the video very shortly. Please share this uh, video. It was a huge one. Um, I mean, I personally loved it a lot. Um, so please go and share it. If again, if you have any any contacts that you feel would also be really great to, to come on, um, do not hesitate to reach out to us. But thank you so much, yeah. you guys. You have a really great uh, evening. Yeah, thank you, Rainier, and thank you, Christine. <laughs>